Anyone can make a promise, but it takes someone special to keep a promise. God is so faithful to us. Now why can't we be as faithful to Him? Hey folks, it's Karen G. from the Tower Hill Communications team. Thanks for listening in to our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this podcast gives you inspiration. And we'd love if you share this with someone that you know so that they'll feel inspired too. This is chapter five of our sermon series called The Story, which is a condensed chronological version of the Bible chapter by chapter. So let's listen in to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Hey, everyone, welcome back to this chapter five of the story. And if you were with us last week, you know, we talked about God delivering his people from slavery. And today is all about, well, then what does he do with his people once they have been delivered? He starts showing them what it looks like to live in relationship with him. And I think we need to start out by really unpacking a little bit how we understand the word promise. I mean, listen, even when we're little kids, we understand the idea of making promises. When I was a kid, it was all about giving the pinky swear. Like, like if you really meant what you were saying, you did the pinky promise. It was like an extra level thing. It's not just I promise, it's no, I pinky promise, which I think is an upgrade from the 1950s. Hey, let's spit on it, you know? I just thought that was a little weird. Anyway, it's a way of saying right? When you make a promise, it's a way of saying, you can put your trust in me. You know that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do, and I'm not going to back down from that. I often think understanding promises, and this helps us to understand promises when it comes to our relationship with God, is promises are inherently relational. It's like the dating process. It starts as something informal, right? Ah, we're just dating. We're just hanging out. We're just going out a couple times. We're just seeing each other. And then as the relationship continues to grow, the level of process or the level of formality or promises continue to increase. Well, then then we become, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, or or we get proposed or whatever it is. Um, It keeps ratcheting up the level of promise until you get to the very formal promise of a marriage. Now, here's the thing that I think is really important for us to understand, especially when we lean into this part of the story, and that is God chooses to live in a promise relationship with us. And that's really important. He doesn't want it to just be some informal, hey, you know, we're kind of seeing God, (laughs) right? We're kind of sort of following God. No, he wants to make it formal. He wants to say, no, I am promising to be in relationship with you. And there's a word that's used for this in scripture and that's called covenant. What's a covenant? But it is a promise, a formal promise of relationship. God chooses to live in a promise relationship with us. And that's what happens when Moses goes to Mount Sinai now, now that we are uh, across the Red Sea, And God is already miraculously providing for his people. We had the manna and the quail. And now there's this big moment that happens when there's a promise between God and his people. And that promise is brokered by Moses. Moses is the go-between between God and the people. So he ascends Mount Sinai. And let's go right now to Exodus chapter 19. 
beginning with verse 7. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. In other words, God sort of took this relationship beyond the informal and said, hey, I want to propose, right? I want to make this a formal relationship. And Moses goes to the people and explains it, and they say, yes, great idea. <laughs> and of course, I think you would do if you had been miraculously delivered by God. But they were all kind of in one voice, like, yes, we are for this. We want to be in this formal, formal relationship with God. And then come the vows, right? The marriage vows. And that's what we get when we get into the Ten Commandments. And here we go with Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Notice, again, that's how God addresses himself, the one who delivered you. And as a result of that, then you should gratefully appreciate the words I'm about to say. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Yes, the big list, the big 10. How many of those did you remember? I'm sure you remembered all of them. But the Ten Commandments we see, oftentimes we see as primarily legislative. And they are in a way, but I think what often gets missed is that this covenant, this promise is all about relationship. The Ten Commandments are very, very relational. In other words, these are the guidelines. These are the vows of our relationship to make our love work over time. This is what it looks like to live in loving relationship with me, is that it has an effect on how you behave. It has an effect on how you live your life. And these are the ground rules. And you know, it's funny. I think we often think of uh, the Ten Commandments or the law, if you will, as something that just restricts us. It's like God trying to ruin our good time. When actually, it's the structure itself that leads to joy. You've heard me say this before. It's sort of like kids' sports. I was thinking about kids' baseball. Is that if we just had the kids show up for a baseball game, and we said, okay, listen, today, no rules. Do whatever you want. 
the kids would go nuts. They'd try to start playing the game, then everything would break down because all it would take is some kid to say, oh, I grabbed the ball and I threw it into the bleachers. That's 5,000 points. Yay, you know, we win. Or as soon as I swing the bat, whether I hit it or not, it counts as a home run. Like, they would start inventing their own rules. Everything would deteriorate. and The kids wouldn't have fun. You'd have a lot of crying kids and a lot of angry parents. The thing is, the whole thing breaks down without the structure. And this is really similar to our life as it's been de designed by God to live, is that if we don't have the structure, everything starts to break down. So it's actually the structure that brings joy and fun to our lives, helps us to flourish. And so what did the people say in response to these commandments of God? They said in Exodus 24, 7, the people said, I do, right? They're saying, I do to the vows. They're like, yes, this is what we want too. Specifically, 24-7 says, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. So talking about wedding vows, I was thinking about, I wonder how many people remember their wedding vows. It's okay. I'm not going to put you on the spot, especially if you and your spouse are sitting together here. Uh, let's just say you remember them all. But the thing is, you would have a better shot of remembering them right after you said them, right? You'd remember more. And right after, you know, the people said, I do, in this formal ceremony, if you will, where, you know, Moses is reading the book of the covenant. It's this big moment that happens. It's they're saying, we do. God said, I do. They say, I do. And it's a promise. It's a covenant relationship promise. We will do everything the Lord has said. And then they immediately forget. They quickly forget the vows that they have made to God. Now, did they have good intentions? Of course they did. I think, just like we all do when we make promises, the best intentions. But I think it's a little bit like when you decide you're going to start running, you know, to get in shape. And so you go out to the store and you buy all this expensive running gear. You know, you have to get the really good shoes. You have to get the right clothes and you have to and you got everything mapped out and you join the running club and you start doing it for a couple of days maybe a couple of weeks and then you know what it's kind of cold and rainy out I'm a little bit tired maybe I'll skip today maybe I'll skip this week maybe I won't ever go back it just kind of happens naturally over time and this is exactly what happens with God's people they forget very very quickly and it underscores they're forgetting the vows that they made to God underscores the basic fundamental flaw in humanity. And it's this flaw that God would go to great lengths to show that he is working hard to overcome and eventually overcomes in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Let's go exactly to this moment where it happens. This is Exodus 32. You've probably heard this story or a version of it. Verse 1, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, this was after the Ten Commandments, Moses went back up to Mount Sinai for 40 days to spend with God, as God continues to deliver more and more instructions on how to live life in covenant relationship together. Anyway, he's gone a long time. They gathered around Aaron, the next in command, and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. 
So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And that's pretty harsh, like using the same language of God talking about himself. You know, I'm the one who delivered you from slavery and brought you up out of Egypt. No, no, no. We changed our mind. Moses was gone too long. We didn't know what was going on. So we just decided to make our own God and say, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Now, for a lot of us who are reading this story, we're just like, this is ridiculous. Like, why would they ever do that after what's happened? I don't know. Why do we do anything we do after what God has done for us? Uh, In fact, I think this only just shows like kind of the proclivity of the human heart to quickly abandon what they promised to God. What was the golden calf moment anyway? It was a moment where, I mean, they broke how many of the commandments already just in that? Like they committed adultery, really, in the relationship. They, They cheated on God with a false God, with someone who wasn't in a covenant relationship with him idolatry, no gods before me. I mean, how many vows did they break right away? You think, man, we just made this covenant relationship 40 days later and we can't seem to get it right. But you see, this really hits this incredibly important point for human beings is that we can't live up to the vows. This is really important. And then you think, well, why would God create vows that we can't live up to? Because he had to show us that there is a standard for living in relationship with God, and that standard has to be met. And later on, we discover it's met on our behalf by Jesus Christ. But we're not there yet. The thing is, we are quick to lose trust in the promise. I mean, think about how quickly they lost trust in what God had promised to them. And then I think about how quickly do I lose trust in God's promises when they don't come as quickly as I need them to? or when I feel like I'm forced to wait upon God for something. I don't know. I'm not saying I fashion golden calves, but I understand what can happen. I want to ask you this question. How would you feel if you were God after what just happened, what they did? Probably pretty angry. You might even want to get out of the relationship. You may want to abandon those promises because it's just not worth it. There are a lot of people who talk harshly about the Old Testament, and I get why. Where God seems to be angry and spiteful and all these other things. And then we see Jesus and we're like, oh man, it's just like Jesus is all about love and just wants to give me a hug. And I think it's a misunderstanding of both the Old Testament and of Jesus. However, what this really shows in this moment and through the entire Old Testament, like a thread woven through the pages, is God's relentless love. Even after everything his children do, God still says, I do. God makes a way for us to be faithful. He makes a way for us to be faithful to the own vows that we've made, right? To the law. God is so faithful. Just let that sink in. God is so faithful to the promise. He's actually equipping us to be faithful because we cannot. And this is what he accomplishes in Jesus Christ. Speaking of Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 22. 
Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Why? Because we can't live up to the works of the law. So we're not going to be declared righteous. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin, as we understand that we need help. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So what should our response be? I think there are some who might say, well, if that's true, if our righteousness comes from Jesus, in other words, if we really don't have to do anything but believe, then I can just do what I want. Because Jesus covers it anyway, right? Really? I don't think we really understand it then, if that's our response. Or maybe I'm so grateful for what God has done for me in Jesus Christ that I want to obey the covenant. I want to uphold my end of the promise as much as I can. I know we won't do it perfectly because I can't. I need Jesus to do that for me, but I'm going to try because I owe it to God. I want to show the world what it looks like to live in relationship with him. I want everybody to see that my life is different because of what he did for me on the cross. I want to ask you today, after everything that's happened in your life, think about where you are now. What brought you in here this morning? Do you still say, I do, to God? Or have you found yourself really struggling? Because maybe things haven't worked out the way you thought. Maybe you had to wait a little longer for God's promises and you gave up. What if today you could show God that you're serious about the relationship? Maybe there's one area in your life where you can commit to the promise. We can say, you know what? This area, I feel like I could take a step. I feel like I can take a step and live a little bit into this relationship of promise with God. Maybe I'm going to show love to someone who has wronged me. Maybe I'm going to offer forgiveness to someone who maybe I decided doesn't deserve my forgiveness. Whatever it is for you, I want to encourage you. Jesus is giving you everything that you need. He's going to make sure that you are declared righteous by faith. But I also think that God wants us to try to live into this promise, to show God that we meant what we said when we said, I do. That we love him. That we want to flourish in this relationship. And to allow the structure of the promise to give us joy. This is a chapter in your story. May this chapter be blessed today. Have a great week, everyone.